In James chapter 4, the idea is this. A mature Christian is a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. A mature Christian is a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. Certainly this would be in harmony with the will of Jesus because He made peace by the blood of the cross. Colossians 1 and verse 20. Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. When we think about people like the Apostle Paul, think about how he brought the gospel of peace to so many people. We ought to be people who are peacemakers and not troublemakers. It's a mark of spiritual immaturity to always be bickering and fussing and to have bitterness and selfish ambition among us. See the close of James chapter 3. Where bitterness and selfish ambition are, all kinds of trouble await. The last word of James chapter 3 is what in your Bible? James 3. James 4 begins with wars and quarrels. Wars and quarrels. And so the idea that Christians are to be peacemakers and not troublemakers is really strong here, especially when the wisdom that's from above, James 3, 13 through 18, teach us how important it is not to become bitter or selfishly ambitious. Let's look at the 17 verses that make up James chapter 4 by way of survey. This particular passage begins with three wars. Let me tell you this, wisdom and conflict. That's what James 4, 1 through 12 are all about. Wisdom and conflict. Some of the finest people behave foolishly in a time of conflict. Mature Christians will not. Think of James chapter 1, patient in testing. Think of James chapter 2, a mature Christian. Shows his faith by his actions. Think of James chapter 3, a mature Christian has power over their tongues. Then we get to this chapter, and in a time of conflict, mature Christians are instruments of peacemaking, not troublemaking. Three wars. First of all, in James chapter 4, notice verse 1, and then verses 11 and 12. War with one another. If you've been a Christian any time, you have probably at some point seen bitterness and selfish ambition hurt the church. You've seen the cult of personalities arise. You've seen things like this and you know how hurtful it can be to a congregation. When you look at James 4 verse 1 and the war that goes on with one another as members of the church, he tells us why these things occur. First of all, he says pleasures or passions. In the original language, it is a word from which we get hedonism. Hedonism, the, the desire to have pleasure and to have our way and to have our wants fulfilled. The second term that he uses, why do these problems exist in churches at times? Because of desires. 
And the word here has to do with strong desires. Strong desires to have our way to get what we want. Then he speaks of the idea of covetousness. Go down to 11 and 12 and notice two other matters that contribute to why these things can happen in a church. A group of people who should be endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, Ephesians 4.3. The unity for which Jesus prayed on the night He was betrayed, John 17, 20 and 21. The unity for which Jesus died in bringing Jew and Gentile together, Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. The unity that the Word of God constantly pleads for among Christians, 1 Corinthians 1.10, that you be of the same mind, that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together, the same mind and judgment. Well, he says, if you want to have problems in a church, be guilty of evil speaking. Look at James 4 and verse 11. Speaking evil of one another. Do you see it? Then notice James chapter 4 verse 12. You want to have trouble in a church, a trouble that will not be God-honoring and will not make for peace among brethren. Be guilty of harsh and critical judgment. Passionate desires, covetousness, evil speaking, and harsh and critical judgment. It can cause conflict within the family of God. And therefore, we must beware of it. There's a second war that's spoken of in James chapter 4. It is not just the war that exists among brethren at times. We need to be wise in conflict. And the second war has to do with the war within our hearts. The war within our hearts. And when we think about that, look at James chapter 4. And he talks about wrong motives. You receive not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask amiss so that you might consume it in your own lust. There's a problem, brothers and sisters, with wrong motives. Sometimes there's a battle going on in our hearts when our motivation is not what it ought to be. Secondly, notice the text. Wrong actions. Any way you look at it, covetousness and murder and fighting and quarreling among the people of God shouldn't be the norm. That's wrong actions, wrong motives, wrong praying. Sometimes we can clothe some of the battles that we're facing within our own hearts in very pious, spiritual, biblical uh, terminology. For example, God, I just pray that you'll bless, oh, brother so-and-so, Sister so-and-so. And we make ourselves look better than we ought. 
battles going on within. Think of this chapter and remember the passage that was just read for us by our brother David. James 4, 6 through 8, but 6 and 7 ought to be remembered by every Christian. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I believe every one of us could use a little more grace, don't you? And most of us could use quite a bit less pride in our lives. It's the fourth war that I think forms a lot of James 4 verses 1 through 12. And it's the war against God. It's the war against God. And you know what? Sometimes Christians can be in a battle against God and maybe not even realize it. James 4 verse 4 says, You adulterers and adulteresses. He's writing to Christians. Know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And basically the idea is quite simply, we are walking hand in hand with the world and hand in hand with God. And again, we can couch it in spiritual type terminology. We want to be all things to all men to win some. Well, that's biblical, 1 Corinthians 9.22. But we cannot accommodate the world and its ways and its thinking as God's people even as we reach out to the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride, the vainglory of life, they are not of God, but of the world. And as such, they are passing away. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2. You've got the world here in verse 4. An enemy to remember because I don't want to be friends with the world and become God's enemy. Then you have in verse 1 and verse 5, the flesh. The flesh. I don't want to be so into the flesh that I forget about eternity and my spirit, my soul. Third, in verses 6 and 7, resist who? The devil. The devil. Friendship with the world, the flesh, and then the devil himself are three enemies that we're really to fight against. Not each other. If we can avoid it. I tell you what... When the truth of God is under attack, we must stand together to fight what is wrong. But when matters of opinion are starting to cause personalities to rip apart the church, we best be careful. So the three enemies were mentioned, and then notice how the war with God is really brought out here. James 4, verses 7 through 10. James 4, 7 through 10. 
the Ten Commandments of the book of James. James knows the Old Testament. James has listened to Jesus, even though he didn't become a Christian until after the Lord resurrected. He undoubtedly listened to Jesus preach. Notice the Ten Commandments, the Ten Imperatives of James 4, 7 through 10. Number one, submit, submit yourselves therefore to God. Seven, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Eight, gives a third imperative. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Next, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Next, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of God and He will exalt you in due season. Young people, listen to me. These are commands, imperatives that will help make you wise in the sight of God. And they will help you during any trial or conflict to live a life that's pleasing to God. And he says them so quickly, it's easy to almost pass over the fact there's ten of them all together, just like the commandments. That brings me to the last section of James 4. If 1 through 12 were about wisdom and conflict, you can tell a lot about a person by how they handle conflict. Then 13 through 17 are about wisdom and our dependence upon God. Wisdom and dependence upon God. This section is really dealing with presumption, with behaving presumptuously, to presume, to think that something's just going to be that way, young people. But it turns out that it's not. Wisdom constantly depends upon God. Wisdom then will not speak or act presumptuously, presuming to know what the outcome is going to be. And notice why James says this dependence on God is so necessary. Now, before I go here, take a minute to turn to Luke 12, 13 through 21. Luke 12, 13 through 21. Because here Jesus tells the classic case of a man who made all kinds of plans, but he left God out. 
And that man is a rich man that he calls a fool. You'll recall the story in Luke 12, 13 through 21. A rich man has the crop of all crops. Obviously, he was not farming in West Texas. Amen? He has the bumper crop of all bumper crops. And the first thing that he says to himself is, I think I'm going to build bigger barns because the harvest is so great. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to live on easy street. I'll be able to take it easy. He was already rich. If we listen to Jesus, there's no thought given to God. There's no thought given to generosity with those who might be in need when he was already abundantly blessed. There's a whole lot of presumption. Jesus is the master teacher because it's a whole lot easier to see presumption and ego in others than it is in ourselves. He gives more grace. God resists the proud. I don't want to be guilty of anything that would cause God to resist me, to not want His face to shine on me, to not cause Him to lift His countenance before me and help me with His attention and care. So keep in mind Luke 12 and how the nature that's shown by the rich man who's a fool in this passage can be something that we as Christians can suffer from too. Let me give you three observations from James 4, 13 through 17. Observation number one. Presumption disregards our ignorance of the future. Presumption disregards our ignorance of the future. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there in trade and make a profit when you do not know what tomorrow may bring. Presumption disregards God and His way because it presumes we know what the future holds. Secondly, look at verse 14. Presumption disregards the brevity and the uncertainty of life. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. The passage is not condemning making plans for the future. This passage is condemning making plans for the future that doesn't have God behind them. That gives little to no thought to God. That brings me to verses 15 to the conclusion of the chapter, verse 17. 
presumption disregards the will of God. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. God resists the proud, but gives great grace to the humble. He gives more grace. And then, a verse that really goes along well with verses 6 and 7 is verse 17. We often call it the sin of omission. To him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. To behave unwisely in conflict as a child of God. To know to do good and not do it is sin. To behave presumptuously concerning the future and to speak as if we are the ones who are God and it's our will be done. That is sin. What an amazingly practical and common sense book the Bible is. And James in particular. The next time that I am able to preach in this pulpit, if it's the Lord's will, we'll look on a Sunday evening, Lord willing, at James chapter 5. Thank you for listening. We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement. It is always the right time now for a person to make things right with God. To know that you ought to and to not do it is sin. To remain proud and obstinate when you know you shouldn't, but you should humble yourself, violates the sense of James 4, 7. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you're a child of God in need of the prayers of the church, your humble acknowledgement of that sin will cause your brothers and sisters here to pray for you. I do not believe that the people here will talk about you or speak evil of you, but that they will take you before the throne of God's grace. For those who are not Christians, there's no time like now. We have one individual that came to Christ just a couple of days ago on a Thursday. So thankful to have a new sister, aren't you? Maybe you're the person that needs to come to Jesus tonight. Let us stand and sing.